Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today my guest is the wonderful Carolina and I've met Carolina many years ago in Brussels when she was part of the group called Leadership. And you'll notice at the beginning I kept saying girls because I think in my mind I was still stuck in that moment when I met them. But anyway, it was really lovely to see uh, Carolina and to talk to her now, a really accomplished young woman who has been doing so many great things and we've been talking about them during the po- this podcast. So she founded a nutrition project back around the time when I met them with Irina Zuza. And after that, upon the suggestion of a friend, Karolina decided to study law in Moldova. And that was really interesting to discuss the process um, of her studies, how she decided to get into it and how she took it extremely seriously. And after that, one, once she uh, finished her bachelor degree in Moldova, she decided that she wanted to study abroad. So she applied for universities in Maastricht and Rotterdam. And she was so, so, so lucky to receive a scholarship in Rotterdam. And she was super grateful and all the time acknowledged the fact that it was so important for her to get that financial help because she couldn't afford it at the time. And that made her think... And now when she has an, a very interesting career, uh, she actually founded a new project or a new program uh, with one of her Moldovan friends. And they want to do this kind of fund that will help students from Moldova who want to study abroad to help them financially through different means. They're still working on it, but you'll find out more about it in this podcast. Anyway, going back to when Carolina was still in Rotterdam, she applied for an internship in Luxembourg at the European Investment Bank and she would tell you more about it. And after that, well, you'll find out from this episode the whole process, but at the moment she's an associate at a, a law firm in Luxembourg dealing with investment funds. And of course, that wasn't easy. She worked so, so hard for it. And not only for this job, but she also really worked hard to pass her bar. And if that wasn't complicated enough, she passed her bar in a language that she didn't speak at the time. So she was studying French and studying for the exams for the bar in the language that she was studying at the same time. I mean, it's super, super impressive. You could see how how hard Carolina is working and how much she's trying to do. But she also realizes and knows that it's important to relax as well and to live your life fully. So we talked about all of that, basically about all her success and her struggles and everything. Carolina was super, super open and it was so nice to speak to her. And you should definitely listen to this episode because it's extremely inspirational. And I just feel proud for everything she's doing, basically. And I'm sure you'll get the same feeling. So welcome Carolina in this episode. And contact her if you have any questions, especially about the program that she put in place with her friend Cristina. Enjoy! Hi, Carolina, and welcome to my podcast. Hello, Daniela. Thank you for inviting me for this podcast. I'm really honored and I was very happily surprised that I'm going to participate in this beautiful podcast. Oh, that's so so nice to say. I mean, I'm super excited because we met a while ago and it's so nice to talk again and see uh, what wonderful things you've done in your life. And uh, for me, it's an honor as well to speak to you. So just to tell the listeners quickly how we met. Uh, I was in Brussels at the time having uh, an internship at the European Parliament and you came with a group of girls from Moldova to visit the Parliament and um, I already interviewed another girl that was in the same project as you and I was telling her how I was super super impressed by all of you girls. You just seemed, I think you're in high school at the time if I'm not wrong, and you just yeah, exactly. all seemed so motivated and wanted to do something extra and having like this drive behind you. And I was super, super impressed with all of you girls. So it's really, really exciting for me to talk to you. I just wanted to start by asking you at that time, what were your dreams and aspirations? If you remember, what were you thinking at the time? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, like we were in, in this uh, program leadership and it was very new for Moldova first of all. So I think because it, it just started with these NGOs and people were not really prepared. Uh, and me as a personality, I was very curious of everything. And when I saw this opportunity, and it was also new, like to be a woman empowered, to do things, to raise your voice. I think it was still the beginning of it. So when I heard about this, I said, oh, oh, for sure I have to participate in it. And it was really life changing because uh, it was so inspiring, like hearing women in politics, journalists, everywhere, because uh, we were having people like to talk to us to inspire us and most of them of course they were women and it was like uh, really for me it really changed I was like okay I can I can do it as well like if they if they were able to do it I can do it and it made me really just think that I could do whatever you know so yeah so that was the moment that basically I started to think what do I want and I started to believe more in me all those girls they really inspired me and I think they played a huge role in, uh, in who I am today. Wow, this is such, such a beautiful message for anyone who's listening to this podcast now. It's so beautiful that you had that kind of revelation at the time. And the other question is, because when I knew you, I knew that you were interested in nutrition and you had a project with Irina together about nutrition. So I had no idea at the time that you were actually interested in law. Do you want to tell me about how you got your interest? Because I already learned about you that you're curious. <laughs> so how did you get into law then? That's also a good question. So indeed, I was very curious about nutrition. So we started this NGO about uh, health and food and fitness and everything. It was amazing in terms of, uh, I really thought that I, I could do a career in it. I was very passionate about it. But it was, I think, it was not enough just to have an NGO. So I was really considering to do medicine. So I started to consider that. But then I, I rethought. So I was really thinking, is it really worth it to do seven years of medicine and uh, just to become a nutritionist? And I also wanted to really love this. You know, you're doing seven years of anatomy. Of, you're studying like really deep things. So after I analyzed, I realized that I'm not ready to study seven years. So maybe in the end I say, but I don't like nutrition anymore. So I, I decided to leave it as a hobby. The, after I, I eliminated this option, what to do with my future, I was completely confused. So I didn't really know what to do. I started to think journalism, politics, because I, I, what I knew, I wanted to do something that fits my personality. And that would have been something to interact with people, to speak, always to learn and uh, I was quite confused I, I still think it's it's very difficult for someone who's 18 to decide on their path and no wonder that people change their careers after a while like you're not prepared to take a decision so I decided just to apply to, to I think I applied to political science it was and something else and then at a certain point uh, someone advised me well what why don't you apply to law and I didn't even think about it you know I was like yeah, seems really, really like if I thought like, okay, seems interesting, seems cool. I was watching the, you know, like a TV series with lawyers and I said, you're still a kid. That's what I realized. You cannot take a decision. <laughs> so I uh, was like, yeah, let me give it a try. So I applied and I, uh, yeah, it was really how it went. And I think I was lucky that uh, I liked it. Mm -hmm. Because I was really curious, am I going to like it or not? And I was passionate about it. Like at the beginning, I took it very serious. I was, I was highlighting everything, learning everything, uh, dressing up. You know, like I really took it as a whole, uh, the <laughs> law thing as a whole. Uh, so yeah, this is how it actually, it actually started. That's so interesting. I mean, sometimes it takes another person to give you the idea of trying something else that you never thought about it. So that's, that's yeah. really interesting to learn. So you, you did your studies in Moldova and then you mm -hmm. decided to take a master in Holland, as far as yeah. I understand. And you, you had the opportunity to either go to Maastricht or to Rotterdam and eventually that's you true. went to Rotterdam, right? 
Exactly, yeah. I always wanted to go abroad, to be honest, because since I started to travel a little bit, I think I started at 16, just to discover with this Erasmus Youth Exchange programs. It really opened my eyes, you know, I was like, okay, there is a world over there that I need to discover. And I was, I wanted so much to, to study abroad, but it was not really possible to do my bachelor. It was expensive. So I needed to basically not only pay my tuition fee, to pay, to pay everything. And, uh, you know, for parents that just have a normal salary in Moldova, it's pretty difficult to just uh, cover kids studying abroad. So I decided to wait a bit and I said, okay, for a master, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to maybe do a side job. And if it's one year or two years, it's more uh, possible to take care of yourself a little bit more. For me, sometimes it gets like an obsession, these things. I'm like, uh, it ticked in my mind. I was only thinking about it. How am I going to study abroad? How is it going to be? Everything. So I started to talk to everyone who is abroad, asking them questions. And at a certain point, yeah, indeed, I applied to, to Maastricht and Rotterdam. I wanted more to Maastricht, to be honest, because it was more like a city close to my heart, like little and cozy and cute. And with, I don't know, Rotterdam was more like, because it was destroyed during the Second World War, it was reconstructed and it was all brand new, which is beautiful, but not really my type of city. So I was uh, inclined to more to Maastricht. And uh, so what happened, I applied to both. I was with no plan, to be honest, because I still needed the tuition fee was 2000 And I knew that around 800, 1000 euro per month to, to live there. And I knew that I could not ask this to my parents. It's too much to ask every month for this amount for me. So I said, okay, let's see. Let's see how it goes. And uh, I applied to both and I got accepted to both which I was very happy. And I said, okay, I'm going to go for Maastricht and let's see. I knew Irina was there and uh, I was already okay. So it's going to be already good. I'm going to know someone. But then I started to panic because I realized that I really have no, I need to have some savings for the beginning. Okay, my parents could give, but I felt a bit ashamed, to be honest, to ask them. It was a bit selfish, I felt. Because what if I didn't really succeed with it? What if it was okay, just an investment without anything to win afterwards? I would have come back home and it wouldn't bring me as much as I would have expected. So, um, yeah, and um, I was a little bit worried. I really started to think, think a lot about it. And at a certain point, I just received an email that, uh, from Rotterdam Erasmus Trust Fund that I am eligible for a scholarship. Like, I couldn't believe it because I looked so much for these scholarships and I couldn't find anything. And they just sent me that I am eligible. Like, how this could even happen? So I got really excited jumping around. I sent, I think, on the same day everything. And uh, yeah, I got that scholarship. I was great. I was so great. I think for two years after that, I was still thinking and being very grateful for that because basically it covered uh, everything, the tuition fee. And also they were giving me, I think, almost 1,000 euro per month. So it was exactly, I even managed to travel a bit. It was crazy, like how, I, I really believe like it was a little miracle from God, you know, because otherwise I'm not, if I would have managed to also work. My English was not that good. I didn't do, I mean, studying law in Moldova is not the same as studying law abroad. You have to do, it's pretty difficult to me at the beginning. We needed to do research, like very professional research. And I was never thought how to do a good research, you know. In Moldova, we never, never been taught how to do a good research. And I, it was crazy for me. So for others, it was not that much, you know. The others who came from Belgium, from other countries, they really knew this. And uh, I think in Moldova, we really need to work on these things, you know. Like to mm -hmm. teach people how to think, to teach people how to... Yeah, I don't know, to, to get out of the box a bit, not just to put the information on the paper from what it is in the books. Yeah, that kind of um, connects to my next question, because I was going to ask you what were the main difference, differences between studying in Moldova and studying in the Netherlands. Because, so for example, I'll um, tell you my first impressions mm -hmm. of the first day. I, I just studied literally one month in Moldova. Then mm -hmm. I found out that I got 
also a scholarship in Bucharest at first, and I did my bachelor degree and my first master degree in there. So when I went there for the first time, my first shock was that the classes were spread around and I actually loved that. It wasn't like when I started that month in Moldova, I felt like I was still in school. You have like, you know, a set day. And for me, it was much better to have them spread around the courses because I could fit in a student job or although you can do that in Moldova as well, I suppose, because you know your schedule in in advance. But that was my first shock in Romania. And then the... There were more after, but that was just like the first impression. And the second one, when I moved to Brussels, the first course that I went to, most of the people around me, they came to the course with a laptop. And at the time, I didn't have a laptop. I didn't even think that you can come to a course with a laptop. And everyone was just like typing and listening to the course and accessing stuff. And I was with a piece of paper looking at everyone around me thinking, what's happening? (laughs) Do you have this kind of first impression of the first course that you can remember? In Moldova, it was like in school. And you had to go in front of the class and say the the subject. You know, it was really like in school, and also uh, the teachers could go very, uh, professors could go very personal to you, you know, attack you personally, which I really dislike. For example, if you didn't know the subject well, they could go personal. I, I never understood this. That's so not nice, you know? Or if you would be late, you should just say, okay, you don't enter the class. Okay, they won't. But they would go personal and say, so why are you late? You know, shame, put shame on you in front of everyone else. Really bad, really bad. And I was, uh, I really this unfairness. And I was always, uh, yeah, I didn't win much, but I was always a little bit fighting with them <laughs> because it really annoyed me. I was always losing because it's, a good, uh, it's never good to fight with your <laughs> bosses and professors. But uh, I mean, in the way, if you look back afterwards, you see like, whatever, you know, it's sometimes it's good to raise a bit your voice to make a point. You could not let things just uh, seem that this is the normal, you know. But in Rotterdam, it was uh, first it was I was a bit shocked with how many people like from all over the world. It was incredible. Like I wanted to talk to each of them and uh, like having access to so many cultures. It's uh, just crazy. Uh, But with the class, yeah, indeed it was spread. So you you could go in the morning and then you have time. Then you have a class in the afternoon. We had like all these big classes uh, where you could could come if you want, not come if you don't want, Mm -hmm. which again is good. I mean, I was going because that was my only, I didn't work during that year. Yeah. So that was my only focus. And it was really interesting. Like, I felt that those professors, uh, some of them, most of them were practitioners, very professional, very well prepared. Uh, Okay, some of them also were as everywhere, you know, like you have good professors and a bit less good (laughs) in a way. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I I really liked that they never went personal on anyone. They were very precise and very prepared with PowerPoint. In Moldova, most of them, they were not even having PowerPoints. No, we mm-hmm. were, they were just reading from the book. But I'm not completely honest because, to be honest, like the basis that I got in Moldova, they still help me now in my work. Mm-hmm. Because it's the civil law, it's the Roman law that we have like in Europe, so also in Moldova. And it was uh, good. Uh, I mean... Yeah, it was learning by heart, doing the code and stuff like this. But we really, I learned the principles very well and I'm still applying here now in my work. So I could not only say bad words, it would not be fair, you know. I love everything you say. I mean, it's really interesting for me to find out. And the thing that you said about you had the option not to go to a course, I I found that fascinating as well because I studied European European studies in Brussels as my second master degree. And so it was a fairly new faculty at the time. And most of the things, most of the courses were online anyway. We had the uh, virtual library. So most of the books, it's not like maybe in law, as you say, comes from Roman law. And you can still study from books but Mm -hmm. with the faculty that I chose it was all virtual information and Mm -hmm. it was the same principle you if you don't want to go to a course nobody's gonna 
you know, <laughs> mark you on that and get personal and say mm-hmm. you, you weren't at that, that course. And in fact, I had yeah. a four hour course and I am a, a very visual person. I'm not an auditive person. Like my memory works on if I write down things and if I see mm-hmm. things in front of me. So that four hour course, I just like, I found not productive for me to be there for four hours and not getting anything in my head. When that teacher sent us through email that information and he also gave us extra resources to, to research after. So I found that, that, you know, I could do that in my own time rather than stay there for four hours and not learn anything anyway, because this is how I am. Sure. And I'm just like, I can't get that information in my head. Mm-hmm. And that also allows you to have, you know, student jobs as well, because I am in a similar situation as yours. Uh, studying in Brussels wasn't cheap at all. So I always had extra student jobs. In the first year I had, you know, yeah. some random jobs that I could find in a, you know, in a shopping a center. Restaurant shopping. Yeah, a restaurant okay. as a waitress, like little jobs like that, that I could fit around the university. And then this, in the second year when I got used to everything, I got my internship at the European Parliament. And um, yeah, tell me about your internship because uh, you applied for one while you were studying in Rotterdam. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Actually, while I was studying, I already started to think, what am I going to do next? Really, it was the second month and I already started. Everyone was so relaxed, enjoying the student life. And me, I was panicking around. I think we have this thing from Moldova, to be honest. Like we always have to do to have a plan, to do great, a lot of pressure on us. And the, the Europeans don't have this. They are just chilling and... Let's, I let's like travel. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and amazing, amazing. And I'm trying to change this because uh, it's good to just sometimes chill and mm-hmm. enjoy life because there is no race. There is nothing to prove to anyone, but you learn, I think, on the way. I'm still learning, to be honest. I'm still like running after things. But I don't want to be 80 and look back and say that I only run for things to prove a point or to say that I did great things, you know. In the end, you just want to look back and say, what a cool, quality, nice life I had, you know. So, but about the European, I applied to European Investment Bank. So what I did, I started to apply also to, I don't think I applied to many things. I applied to just a couple and I decided to apply to Luxembourg because it was also quite international. In the Netherlands, it was a bit difficult. You needed to know Dutch. And I also didn't feel like staying there. I loved Netherlands. I loved it. Like everybody was speaking English, but still they had this thing, you know, speak uh, Dutch. So I was not willing to learn Dutch, unfortunately, uh, because it was not the country that I would stay for all my life. So I applied to Luxembourg and I said, okay, I'm going for six months. Let's see. I applied to EIB. I got, uh, for me, yeah, when I thought about European investment bank, it was like crazy. European, it like sound like amazing, you know. So uh, I applied and uh, yeah, I got it. So I think I never believed too much in myself, you know. I, I really always thought oh, from Moldova, you know, a bit underestimating, which is also not a very good thing, you know. But it makes you work, I think, a bit more than others. Which... So I applied to that and uh, yeah, I got it. So from September, basically the next year immediately, I went to Luxembourg and I said, okay, let's see six months and then we see. Mm-hmm. And I went, I felt so special, <laughs> really, like going on those corridors. You really feel like a star. <laughs> it really gives you this vibe. And because it's a public institution, people are more chill. They have more time they and they also love trainings they love to teach you you know they there is this vibe a lot of diplomacy a lot of you'd never see someone saying something or like very careful in this public European because probably you had the same experience right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah and uh, also like we got uh, I think we were they every half a year they get uh, around 30 trainees all over the world so they put our they put in the department that we fit the best so i was in the legal department in the eastern europe and central europe something like this i think in terms of professional i didn't learn too much because uh, i understood afterward it was more to give us a push this traineeship so it was more to understand european institution to talk with people. I wanted to do work, you know, every morning I was like, so give us work, give us work. But I didn't want to do much. So 
they were like, they just chill. And then immediately I was like, I want to stay here. And it was like, <laughs> I couldn't relax, you know, just, just enjoy those six months. But then I, I, I understood how it works. The idea is that um, 90% of the trainees, they don't stay because you need, in order to stay as an employee, you need to have uh, at least three years experience. So it was almost impossible to do so. So I did not stay, but I wanted so much. But, uh, if I would look back now, I wouldn't choose to stay at the European Investment Bank mm-hmm. because it's a little bit too chill. It's more like, I think, for people that are uh, over 40 or over 45, when you have a family, when you want things a little bit more slow, not when you're at the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, the European Parliament was... Um... Full on. We had days when me and my colleague were just like there because we were as assistants to deputy. And especially when they had the Strasbourg mm-hmm. plenary sessions, we were in Brussels in the office from morning till midnight. Really? Like, because okay, they so were for so you it was long. a different... For me in the parliament, it was different. But the thing that you said about training and stuff, I always took, I can say took advantage because it was offered and why not applying? I always applied to conferences because as you say, they do like training and doing conferences and paying your expenses. So I was always Mm -hmm. going to all sorts of conferences in Brussels, but not only in Brussels. I went a few times to Strasbourg with conferences and they paid for my hotel and food and everything. But I did go with a purpose because it was especially around democracy in Eastern European countries and especially for Moldova. So it was interesting for me. I didn't just apply for that, but in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, the opportunity was there to learn if you wanted to. And all the expenses were covered similarly to when you came to the parliament was enough to, you know, to to have a good reason. And uh, the parliament covered your expenses for you to come and um, see it because, and as you said, you got inspired to be in that group and there was a purpose to that. So that brings me to another question that, but I'll, I'll do an introduction first. So Uh, One time I applied to one of these um, conferences that took place in Strasbourg at the European Council. And so I took the train from Brussels to uh, Strasbourg and did the conference for a few days. I can't remember how long it was. And then when I came back, because going there, I realized that the train stopped in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. So going back, I was all by myself and thinking, well, I used to do that in Brussels anyway. If you take a ticket to an end destination. You can get out at any stop as long as you Mm -hmm. use the the ticket for the same day. You can just Mm -hmm. go out and explore and then get back on the train, continue doing that. So it was perfectly valid Mm -hmm. for that as well. So I could just stop in Luxembourg, stay there for a few hours and then get back, use the same ticket and just go back to Brussels as long as I did it in the same day. So I did that. I was on my back and thinking, well, I've never been to Luxembourg. Why not do that? <laughs> so I just stopped and went there. And my first impression was the, the nice nature that is in the city of Luxembourg. It's really beautiful, really green. And those, you know, I somehow remember I was on the bridge and seeing like low down and some green stuff. I, I, that's the image. I can't describe too much of what I remember. But I also remember, and I have no idea how I remember that because I was by myself, but I probably asked random people about it. Um, so someone was saying that the older generations in Luxembourg, they speak the, the Luxembourgish, is that what it's mm-hmm. called? But yeah. the newer generations, then they don't speak that too much anymore. And it's more German and French. Do you want to tell us a little bit, is that true? Is, is it not spoken so much Luxembourgish and what were your impressions about Luxembourg when you moved there and how do you find the state and the city of Luxembourg? I really liked it because it seemed very cozy and like a little I don't know like with castles and uh, with nature and I liked the fact that it is small like it so it's really uh, like either you like it or you don't yeah I love it I love when everything is like next to each other and you feel like a little community really you have this feeling like I have a similar feeling as like being in Moldova in a way but in a more developed country because everything you know you if you go in the center you are gonna meet someone you and you don't have to be really like it's, it's like in, in Chisinau you know if you go it's exactly the same and or two three people you could meet because uh, people are around going either for a walk and 
me, I love this, but others don't really. Others feel very, they love London, they love New York, so they are not very happy here. So you really have to, and they could not to complain about it. So I think you have to identify whether it's your type of city or not. Mm-hmm. It's really a particularity. But in terms of languages, it's very curious because the languages that are being spoken here, it's three languages. It's Luxembourgish, German, and French. In Luxembourg, the capital is Luxembourg City. And in Luxembourg, so the same name of the country, they, you would have 80% of people that came from abroad. Mm-hmm. So imagine only 20% are Luxembourgish. It's crazy. So you would hear in the, when we take the tram, you would hear so many languages on your way, really. You hear English, French, Luxembourgish less, German, Polish, Russian, like I really hear Romanian, you know. In the shops, we speak French. They still like when you speak a bit, so we know a little bit of Luxembourgish words because it's really a respect for the country, at least to say hello, which is moyen, you know, or merci goes the same as in French, like it's merci. So I think it's nice if you show respect for nation because they are very welcome to foreigners. So mm-hmm. we could do a little effort uh, in this respect, I find. English, it's spoken. I work in English like 90%. But uh, on the shops, uh, there are a lot of people who come from France and French people don't really know English too well. So they prefer to, or Luxembourgish, they also prefer to speak French better. So you have to have a certain level of French. Mm-hmm. You could survive without French, but it's, uh, you could. I came with no French, so I learned it on my way. But, uh, but it's good, I think, to know it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you think with respect that you're saying, um, I absolutely agree with you because I lived in Brussels mm-hmm. and although Brussels has so many uh, European institutions and the most spoken language is English but as a country as a whole they have three main languages as well French Flemish and German in Belgium mm-hmm. and I took a class a free class in the evenings to learn um, Flemish which is very close to Dutch actually if mm-hmm. you speak Flemish you understand Dutch and vice versa because it's exactly what you said and especially as I worked as a student in a shopping center although I didn't think I will ever speak it fluently it was nice for me to tell them, you know, the amount of money that they had to pay to tell them in, yeah. the, you know, in Flemish or, or hello or thank you. So, yeah, I agree with that thing of, about respect. You just said that you weren't speaking French. However, <laughs> you managed to recently pass your bar in French. Yeah, <laughs> Congratulations <true>. for that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. When, when I arrived and I was at EIB and I was telling them, because they, they advised me at EIB, they said, you need to go to bar, you need to, to go to a law firm to become a, to take the right path in order to, to be a qualified lawyer. Because honestly, again, I was thinking, oh, it'd be fine if I would just work in a legal sector somewhere, but not necessarily to qualify as a lawyer, because it's possible, like you could not qualify as a lawyer. But again, you, you are not going to grow too much. You're always going to stay with almost the same salary and you're almost always going to be on a certain level. So I'm glad that they advised me to go for the hard path. But at the same time, they were also thinking like that I don't know French and they're like, how are you going to do it? I, when I was telling everyone that I don't have the bar, they're like, how, how are you going to do it? It's like, I don't know, I'll figure it, you know, like it shouldn't be that difficult. But I said like the worst that it could be that I'm not going to pass and mm-hmm. there's going to be no pressure because I, my excuse is going to be that I don't know French too well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if I would have... Uh, I would be afraid of people's judgment. I wasn't because there was no pressure, zero pressure, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I decided to do so. I, uh, yeah, it was a bit difficult to do the equivalence. Of, I imagine it's an only EU country. I did my bachelor. Mm-hmm. So I had to prove it was very, it was one year and a bit to make this equivalence. I was apparently the first Moldovian, not first Moldovian that became a lawyer in Luxembourg, but first Moldovian with studies in Moldova as mm-hmm. bachelor that mm-hmm. wanted to do the equivalence. So it was a bit tricky. I needed to prove that the principle of law in Moldova are the same as in Luxembourg. I needed to write a wow. letter with going from one code to another, code civil, code de travail, all of them. But I said I have to do it. So this was with the equivalence. And then with the bar, I started really to do these courses, like to, uh, to do the French courses. 
<laughs> and also the similar to Romanian, a little bit, I mean, not too much. Yeah, I mean, Latin languages, yeah. It still helps a bit. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you figure it out on the way. I was still ashamed. I, I really, when I learn a new language, I have a, maybe like everyone, a huge barrier until I start speaking in that language. <laughs> Because people were speaking good French here. In my office, when I arrived, every 90% were speaking French. Mm-hmm. It was horrible for me. I felt... Uh, Because I'm Left very out, social yeah. <laughs> so much. I wanted to tell them that I'm cool. Take me in your group. Oh, <laughs> It was difficult because I like um, being around people. I like to, you know, not only to come to work and, um, and just work and go home. So at the beginning, I felt very bad. Although people wanted to include me, they were still speaking French. Mm-hmm. Although they knew English, they were so used that everyone knows French that they continue speaking in French. So I had some terrible six months, but all, all in my head, you know, like... Yeah. And they understood that I understand French because I understood French, but mm-hmm. I couldn't talk. Like, I was, I, I was also ashamed to talk. I didn't know well how to talk. And uh, they also, why would they make such a big effort, like nine people for one person? Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually it changed. Eventually it became that a lot of other people higher than now it's you hear English more in the office so yeah with the language that that what happened like I just tried to put a lot of effort into it it was not easy I'm not very well with things it's not my nature to be but I managed somehow like in two years I think in total I managed to do the exams and I put a lot of work meaning like I really learned uh, you know for the exams a lot maybe more than others I should have learned So do you want to paint a little bit the picture? You were, because I think we skipped, uh, I skipped asking you because after that internship, you got a job at the company mm-hmm. that you currently work. You decided to apply for the bar and you mm-hmm. were working a lot, trying to fit in and all of that, plus studying for the bar in your free time, which, I mean, I can't even imagine how long you, how, how much you had to read because I only had uh, at my university courses, I had you know, a course of commercial law and European law. <laughs> and they were the exams that I had, I had to read the most out of all of the other exams. I mean, the level of information for one exam, like to do with law, was just massive. I imagine you had to read a lot and study a lot, like in quantity as well. So, yeah, paint a little bit the picture. What were you doing? So basically after EIB, I got a traineeship at the law firm, not immediately a job. A mm-hmm. traineeship for five mm-hmm. months. So I needed to prove myself. So they hired me as an associate. And it was quite difficult uh, because you needed to be, they needed to see in you that you are quick, a quick learner, that you get it, that uh, you are hardworking. And they really put you, like I felt, they never told me that, but for example, they were giving me a lot of work to see how I cope with stress to see if I'm going to give up or yeah, not easy, to be honest, because uh, you feel a lot of pressure to prove yourself. And everybody around is very, I would say, a lot of smart people around. There is not like, you know, a range of people, but everyone is very good. And you had to be at least that to be taken. Like, you know, you go in different social uh, groups and there are different type of people. But here I felt like they really took, like, uh, people were very, everybody was good public speaking everybody was good with having an opinion with knowing the law and uh, you needed to reach to that level in order to they wouldn't just take you just for that so i needed to prove myself five months but then they they offered me i was really worried are they gonna offer you me the job or not so they offered it finally and at the same time i at the same year when i started i told them that i want to pass the bar and they have a good um, they have a program for you so if you plan to pass the bar they give you one month and a half to study for the exams they also allow you to go I think from this one month and a half you are allowed to go to the classes you could split one month and a half how you want mm-hmm. so what i go to the classes because I'm as like you I'm more visual mm-hmm. so imagine hearing in French for me it would be a waste of time <laughs> I needed to go and just try to read and translate it and understand what's going on and I did well I didn't go to the classes so and I just uh, took one month and a half and I started for the exam and I think yeah we had lots of exams we had nine exams <laughs> it was horrible nine exams 
uh, and I passed, I think, times seven exams, which was, I was, for me, it was a success. Passing yeah. seven exams from first, mm-hmm. I was jumping around as if I would have passed the bar. And then I passed the other two. So after I passed the other two, um, I got like the bar in a way, yeah. It's also a whole structure, the first level of the bar, like meaning you are a lawyer, but yet you are not, a, you could not go to the court. So what so takes you, you to go to court? Two more years of um, doing uh, in a law firm, like being in a law uh-huh. firm. You need so you experience, you years. don't have to pass more exams for that. More, and two more exams, but in two years. It's a big thing, to be honest, but uh, the good thing is that after passing these nine exams, you're already qualified as a lawyer. You, could already, you have the advantages of being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what's your area of expertise? What kind of uh, law do you work with and what kind of lawyer do you want to be? By now, I'm, law- I'm working in investment funds. Meaning, what is the main thing in Luxembourg? Because Luxembourg is famous for this, for investment funds. So basically, what is investment funds is like an entity that takes form of a fund mm-hmm. and invest, they're admitting investors with money. So either moral persons or physical persons. And then some brains that are in this fund, they decide how to invest this money and bring uh, distributions, like bring, bring profit to those investors. So what we do, we just, my team and I, we're just thinking of uh, the structure of the fund, how to best advantage it. We incorporate the fund. We just work on this area, which is, which is pretty nice because um, a good thing is that this is the main thing which is happening in Luxembourg. So I think uh, uh, being in another area in Luxembourg is a bit superficial because being, for example, in corporate law, you don't really have corporate law in Luxembourg because the real thing happens in London, New York. In Luxembourg, it's more like uh, holding companies. So you're not really having lots of things going on. Mm-hmm. So, but to be honest, yeah, I mean, I started with it, but it's not a question that I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Maybe yes, maybe no. But uh, I think I will see on the way, you know, how yeah. it goes. Yeah. I want to ask you now about giving back because I know you are at a point where, where you want to give back as well. Um, one is that I've seen that you and your colleagues are giving seminars to students and to uh, probably advise them for their future careers. And two, there's a little project that I want you to talk about. Uh, The project is probably personal to you as well because you've been in that situation where it was difficult to have the financial means to study abroad. And the program is around people who study in Moldova and they want to do a master's degree in Europe, in other countries, correct me if I'm wrong, and you offer the financial support for them to do that yeah i love to talk about this <laughs> because <laughs> That's honestly, good. I think, no because honestly i think um, for me this is very important uh, like really i find it like my job i love it but i feel like it's not enough for me i love very much uh, having the social part you know like uh, helping someone i think i would really love to do that uh, to, to give more time to it uh, it brings me a lot of happiness, honestly. Like, I feel like I have a purpose if I do this kind of things. Just having a job and having a good salary, it's nice because you have money to survive, to live a good life, to travel. But it's also very important for your soul to do these extra things. Like you said, the first thing we did, like with the students, yeah, like there was a girl in Rotterdam. First, I participated in a student event in Rotterdam, just alumni. They invited me just with talk because we were alumni uh, to Rotterdam. So then they contacted me. They said they want to make a visit to our law firm. And I said, great. I talked to my firm and they were happy to, they like this kind of events. They have visibility. So unfortunately, it was not possible because of COVID to do Mm -hmm. the real visit. But they, um, yeah, we organized it online. So it was very cool. Like, yeah, we talked to you. They had, uh, we presented the firm, but we also talked about how they could actually get a job in a law firm and present them the opportunities. I think it was a nice experience. I realized I love this very much. <laughs> to talk. To... <laughs> but it was like a sharing of information and some people really, either you find it too difficult or you find it. And then when you hear from someone that, 
it worked. So you're like, oh, maybe it's going to work. So it was a cool experience with, uh, but that was a one event with them. And with the other one, uh, so as, as I told you, with this scholarship that I got in Rotterdam and I was so happy, I was really grateful. The whole year I was thinking about it, like the whole Rotterdam year, I felt, I, I was thinking about this and uh, I put myself in my brain that I want eventually to create Uh, something similar as they did for me in the Erasmus Trust Fund. Because basically it was, you know how it worked for them? It was alumni that gave money to that trust fund and those money went to students who want to study at Rotterdam University but don't have the financial means. So I knew that I want that, but I was not sure how to do it. And um, I know that it's difficult to use your own money only. You're not going to be... In, it's not going to be never enough. So it's good to make a little structure. So we thought about it. It was, I was talking to a friend of mine, Christina. She's also here in Luxembourg. She's a Moldovan. So I was telling her my idea. She's also very implicated and very active. And uh, she, she really said, oh, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, I was like, oh, I can't believe that finally someone that wants to do it with me. Because I talked Aww. to others and they said, it's a nice idea, but nobody really, really uh, wanted to, to get involved, you know. But yeah. I wanted someone to, you know, you need someone to do it. And then she started, okay, I have someone in IT from Moldova. <laughs> Let's uh, contact me. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it because it was something I had in my mind. It kept pushing me, you have to do this thing. So we started, uh, yeah, we decided we're going to call it. So it's still a beginning of a project. It's going to, I think, slowly, it's going to raise. It's going to be called Impact Moldova. It is called already because we registered already here in Luxembourg as an NGO. And the aim is going to be, we want to focus both on social and education. Me, I wanted more on education. She wanted more on social. And the target, uh, I mean, we want to, to be honest, from whom we expect financing, it would be, you know, like people from abroad, Moldovians, in, including. But also just, Foreigners ab- abroad, companies, even anyone that would just want to contribute to the idea. And we were thinking that people are sensible to, to education, you know, like when you say uh, that you want to invest in education, it's, I think people are willing to, they, it's, it's not you just give and it disappears, but it's something you push and someone is raising out of it. So the idea, yeah, I mean, we're still working on the project. We, we created the website. We're still putting the information, like it's ongoing. But uh, we are planning yeah, to have uh, the social part where we're going to have little cases and people could contact us like with a little story and you could decide to donate to a specific case. Or the education part, we were thinking to, to do one, like a big project, someone to raise funds for their master. Which is great because when I was thinking, I said, but what if it would be like somewhere to put my case and people maybe to do, there are these things, right? There are, but I didn't really know how this works. But if it's a Moldovian, you know, it could be maybe easier for them. So basically you have the, you'll have the case, the person, and people would decide to donate specifically to that person to help raising the funds for the master tuition fees or for example i don't know uh, little cases such as a person wants a set of books that are quite expensive or a laptop that would help or um, another little we're still i tell you like it's broad now but we will <laughs> narrow it a little bit another thing was to do like contributions like 50 to 100 euro per month for students who are very good in their studies and just to give them a little push because maybe of financial means, maybe they're not going to use, because I was also like, you could not control how they're going to use this money. But even if they're going to use for something else, it's a little contribution for the fact that they're doing great in their studies, you know. Maybe they're not going to buy books for 50 euro. Maybe they're going to go to a restaurant. But it's a nice thing. You want to put that person, because me as well, like when I got my scholarship of 900 euro, I was not spending everything. You know, you travel a little, you're a human being, you know, with, uh... so yeah, that, that's, I'm so excited. I was very excited about it and I can't wait to, to see it happening, you know. That's amazing that you do that. I mean, I applaud you. It's, it's an amazing project and all the things that you're doing are uh, meaningful and it's great to see people like you. 
Uh, you mentioned a few times travel, 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 travel. I know it's COVID <laughs> times and travel is not exactly on people's list, but what is usually your go-to destination and how do you relax in general? Yeah, I, I love traveling like everyone. Um, I mean, usually, usually I went more around Europe, but mm-hmm. because I didn't have yet the chance to go more abroad, I went into the USA once, but I could not really say that I saw the whole USA, you know. But I, now I really want to go either in Asia or South America. South America, mainly, I would love to be my next destination. It depends on the mood. Sometimes when you, I'm like super, I don't know, if I had a very difficult period at work, I would like more like just relaxing on a beach and just chilling and reading and this would be one. Now I feel more because we stayed so much with this quarantine and corona. I would love to go on a little adventure. So the next plan, I don't know if it's going to be possible, but we plan to go with some friends in April in Costa Rica. <laughs> oh, sounds so, nice. I don't know. I would love to. I never go to South America and this would be crazy. Like I want to. I want just to be in the nature, to, to see something that I've never seen, to go for two weeks and um, experience a little bit something different. Yeah, I mean, even in Europe, you're saying at the beginning you were going mostly in Europe. We spent with the motorhome one year in Europe and we didn't manage Amazing. to see everything. Like there's so much to see in Europe. You don't have, like a year is not enough to see it. So there's still plen- sure. plenty of uh, places to explore in Europe, but the whole of the world is just beautiful. So it's worth um, visiting and enjoying nature. I love that we're both on the same side with nature. I really love spending time in nature as well. Um, thank you so much for this interview. Do you want to, is there anything else that I missed asking you and you want to talk about? No, I think it's fine. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And it's always nice to, I don't know, to remind yourself of some little things. So when you talk this kind of thing, you also bring some good memories to yourself. So thank you for this experience. Oh, it was my pleasure. And I'm sure that you'll inspire many other people with everything you've just said now. And maybe there'll be uh, little girls that will listen to this and will imagine themselves having, you know, these great dreams like you managed to inspire other people to do. Thank you, thank you so much. It was lovely to speak to you and I hope I'll see you one day around. (laughs) Maybe in Luxembourg or maybe somewhere else. Thank you, thank you very much, Daniela.